0: What does it take to encourage world peace? According to Beth Howard, the answer is pie. She discusses her journey around the world making and dispensing pie in the name of world peace. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Beth Howard, pie maker and writer. She's written several books. Her most recent book is World Peace, all about a recent journey making pies for peace. Welcome, Beth. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for having me, Liz. So first I want to say how much I really enjoyed your book and I love the idea of something so not simple because I don't think pies are simple, but so so basic is um is the way that you are communicating with people around the world. I think that's just a a, a wonderful a wonderful thing and it kind of proves how important food is and sharing food, whether it's sharing it because you've made it yourself or simply being invited to somebody else's table. I think that's, um, this is a wonderful illustration of how food can be that ambassador for peace. So first I want to ask you um,
1: how you got involved with pies. Oh, dear. Let's see. You want to go all the way back to my birth? <laughs> because I always say I was I was born because of pie, because my mom oh, made my dad a, a banana cream pie when they were dating. And they'd been dating for six months, and she invited him over for supper, they call it, in the Midwest, in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And, uh, and she made him a tuna casserole and a banana cream pie. And she knew that banana cream was his favorite. And before he'd even finished his First slice out of more than one, I'm sure. Um, he asked her to marry him. So I say that if not for that banana cream pie, I wouldn't have been born. And then I didn't learn how to bake pie from my mom. I uh or baked my a lot of pies. Did she bake a lot of pies? No, she didn't after that. They had five kids and she didn't really have <laughs> a lot of time for baking. She, you know what though? She, she let us kids have uh, a lot of freedom in the kitchen. So we did a lot of baking, but but that was in the day of do you remember Jello one, two, three? Oh and yes. <laughs> whip, whip chill or whipping chill, something like that. It was like a pudding. Cool, like,
0: cool whip. and Kind cool. of.
1: And then uh, whip and chill, I think it was called. And then this was like, you know, the sixties, early seventies. And uh-huh. then uh, there was another one uh, like the no bake, easy bake cheesecake or something. I mean, so we were doing baking on our uh-huh. own. My mom was busy, you know, she had five of us. She was shuttling us around to all of our, you know, lessons and school things. And but anyway, I didn't I didn't learn how to make pie for my grandmothers either. They were both working women. And um, so it wasn't until I was 17 and I was on a bicycle trip down the West Coast and I was with a friend and we stopped in a somebody's orchard in Washington state. It, well, it looked like it was a vacant house and there were some apple trees. So we stopped and picked some apples, just helped ourselves. And then this old man came storming out of his house you know what are you doing stealing my apples i mean we're just two kids from iowa on bikes you know so so <laughs> then uh anyway he saw that we were just you know kids and on bikes how how many apples could we really take right right and it turned out he was a retired pastry chef that he had been in the merchant marines like he was this crusty old man but he had um yeah he'd been a pastry chef so he invited us into his home it was very dusty he didn't even have electricity we Um, he had propane, a propane stove and, uh, and he taught us how to make apple pie. So then ever since then I was like, I love pie. I love making pie. And I was never very good at it. My crust was always really hard, uh, really tough. And, um, and, and just, yeah, like not that it was inedible, but I was really notorious for overworking my dough. Let me move my screen. The sun's coming in the window, which is nice, but yeah. Yeah um so so I made a lot of pies and then it wasn't until 2001 I quit a dot-com job at uh that I had in San Francisco and I was working 80 hours a week behind the you know at my computer at my desk and it was you know, was a cre- they wanted us to create virtual environments and get people to spend more time online. And I said, I just want to go do something with my hands, all this virtual stuff. No, I need to go get grounded in something and something will that will engage my senses. And in my exit interview, I said, I just want to go make pie. And I do not know what possessed me to say that, <laughs> but that's what I ended up doing. I went, I went, I moved from San Francisco back to Los Angeles, where I had been based for a long time. And and I walked into this little new gourmet cafe in in Malibu. It was new at the time in two thousand one, and it's still there, by the way. Uh, and I said, uh, you know, I wanted to buy some pie, and they said we're too busy to make it. And so then I said, well, I'll make it for you. <laughs> I was Like again, like where does this come from? Where why <laughs> did I say that? And uh, and I got hired. So then um, the woman who ran that place, her name is Mary Spellman. She's she's passed away but uh, but she taught me everything that i know now and everything that i teach now about pie making where you know you make it with your bare hands no such thing as a food processor i don't own one i never want to own one and you know i wouldn't want to miss out on that experience of engaging with your food you know it's just like i keep holding up my hands because it's just that feeling of you know, touching the the butter and the, and the flour and mixing it together and you know, sort of that alchemy that happens. Um, so then I really found the magic of pie when I did that uh, pie baking job in Malibu, and I did it for a year, I, you know, completely unplanned. And uh, and then, so then I from there I started a blog called "The World Needs More Pie," and then it, it's just. And then that whole story sort of segues into my books, because then I wrote about uh, in my first book, Making Peace, about that part of the pie journey and how it led me back to my native Iowa. And then World Peace picks up where I left Iowa again and uh, went around the world making pie because I I can't get away from it, no matter how hard I try to just go, (laughs) you know, maybe I'll try something else. And I just keep coming back to pie. Can't help it.
0: And so you mostly have made in the in the in the book World Peace talking about fruit pies. Um, that's what you were making mostly and sharing with people. Do
1: you make savory pies? Oh my gosh! Last winter, I made a really big chicken pot pie, and mm-hmm. my partner and I ate half of it in one sitting. You know, like a pot pie is really thick and rich, right. and, right. and we were we were both just like groaning in almost like pain from eating so much but it was so good uh so yes I do I do occasionally make a savory pie and I love it and and for my book for world peace uh there are recipes in the back from other countries and uh so I did actually you know make those recipes Cornish pasties and uh there's like a little meat pie from New Zealand and and I made samosas which uh, I consider pie. I have a very loose definition of pie that it's any filling encased in any kind of crust. It doesn't matter if it's baked or fried or sweet or savory. So that's, uh, I, I agree with you. I think all of those things are pie too. So we you won't
0: get any argument or pushback from me about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, you've told us about pie. So tell us also, and then we'll talk about some of the details of the book, but What did you, what did you feel that I know sometimes you don't know what you're feeling when it's happening, but how did you feel at the end, and especially now that some time has passed since the actual end, how Mm. did you feel that you, what did you learn from all of the pie baking and interaction? (coughs) Oh, excuse me. Let me get my coffee we'll just cut this out okay i'll take another sip of mine
1: Ooh, i didn't want to
0: cough while i was talking
1: Let's See if i can get that light diffuse the light a little the light keeps you know the sun keeps moving the <laughs> year, so usually this is a good spot to sit but now it's you know well
0: kind of... we're not going to do anything with the um with, with the, the audio or the video, video, I mean. No, right. Okay. Right. So, so don't worry about it unless it's like reflecting in your eyes. And oh, it, okay. No,
1: that's good to know. Okay. So can you answer that? <laughs> can I, that's a big question. Like what did I get from baking all the apple pies or? Yeah. What did you get from all the, all the various pies and the interaction that the pies caused? Well, the one thing that's, well, universally true no matter where I've gone in the world no matter where and no matter when no matter who I'm baking with no matter what language is that everybody loves the pie making classes that I do because it brings a group of people together they get their hands in the dough like I was explaining earlier you know that tactile experience that they don't normally get perhaps and uh, and it's this Thing they're creating, and at the end they're so excited. Like a lot of people have never made a pie before, and they just can't believe they made it. That it's this again. No matter what language, like the people are so excited that they made this that it actually turned out. I'm very strict in my classes. I'm very like, (laughs) (laughs) I come around with my rolling pin, threatening people, and and it's you know this tough love thing because the pies always turn out. I mean, that's one thing that I know with my teaching style. I I mean, I'm just playful in being tough, but I am tough and I keep people on track and the pies always turn out. And they're always so excited to take their pies home and share them with somebody else. And that is the message of what I do. It's the making something of you that you made yourself and sharing it with somebody else. That's the point it's not the pie it's not the recipe it's the action of sharing but do you think made. do you think that
0: it's important that it's food as opposed to having made something that isn't food
1: well not necessarily no that just pie just happens to be my thing but for example in new zealand my host there charity the reason i got hooked up with her is she knits prayer shawls for people the way I make pies and share them with people she makes she'll knit a a prayer shawl and then she'll she'll send it to somebody who has cancer or somebody who she I don't know somebody who she just identifies as a person perhaps in need and she sent me a prayer shawl when I was uh, living in the American Gothic house in Iowa and it wasn't that long after my husband had died and that's how we connected and and she's to this day knitting prayer shawls and giving them away to people. So, you know, the the difference is that the pie making when we do it together in a class creates community. Mm-hmm. That's that's the difference. I mean, people do have knitting circles and things, so it doesn't have to be food. But but there is something pretty nice about food and, you know, the apples and cinnamon and butter. I mean, I don't know. I think there must be some some chemical reaction <laughs> that we, that we get some physical reaction we get from that combination of, of food also.
0: Well, and I think there's something intimate about making food for someone and sharing it because you're actually putting something into your body, which is, uh, well, nourishment.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, and, on many levels, you know, yeah. it's not just, uh, it's not just the food nourishment it's something else right you know, how, how do you explain that you know to me I think it's something more I, I don't know it sounds too woo to say it's spiritual but you know I don't know I, I do think there is some energetic thing at work with that that you made it with your own hands and that somebody else or they made it with their own hands whichever you know but the fact that it's people don't take the time to make stuff and they think pie is hard and it's not if you you know just don't follow the rules and don't listen to all of the you must do it this way or be you know careful this, not to do this oh it, and this headline amazing. that i that makes me bristle and i see it every day in my google alert for pie the perfect pie crust how to make the perfect pie Fill in the blank, whatever. It's like no, there's no such thing as perfection. It's stop. You know that's that intimidates people. It doesn't have to. People don't want a perfect pie. They want a pie that looks homemade. That doesn't that doesn't look like it's some big art project on top where it's like I don't want to cut into it because it's too you know fancy people love the homemade stuff the messier looking the more they want to eat it you know so you you talk about that in i think it's the thailand chapter oh it's definitely in the thailand chapter because <laughs> i worked with french trained pastry chefs uh-huh. and they were horrified <laughs> by my <laughs> pie baking style first of all all oh, that I made my crust with my hands with my you know made my dough with my hands and 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 then like the blueberry pies that we made there uh the berry juice, you know it was just had exploded and come out through the top of um of the, the top crust. crust yeah yeah, you know how that happens I right do, the juice yeah. yeah over and it's all thick and gooey looking and it' just looks I was gonna use the swear word there because it just looks so delicious, you know yes. and uh. And they're like, we can't serve these, you know, cause it, it doesn't look nice or it doesn't look perfect or something. I'm like, what? No, dude, that's exactly how they're supposed to look. You just wait and see. And then, so we served these pies at this big event and sure enough, the blueberry pies were the first pies to get eaten. In fact, uh, the, the event that we made them for was uh, the Amer- uh, American Embassy's 4th of July party. This is, you know, in the Thailand chapter of my book. And we made 75 pies, or you know, I oversaw that with the help of these pastry chefs. And uh, on one side of the ballroom, far side of the ballroom, the word had gotten out that there were blueberry pies at this table. And these dignitary guys came over all the way from the other side of the ballroom and said, we heard there was blueberry pie. So I was said to my French trained pastry chefs, you see, that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, they loved that. They like, they saw the magic in that. And, you know, I, that to me was one of the, the best cultural exchange opportunities I had on my whole trip around the world was, you know, to be working with these guys for like five days in a row and watching how much you know, this was for at a hotel, at a Grand uh-huh. Hyatt Erawan in Bangkok. And they were just cranking out pastry after pastry, day after day for banquets and for the restaurants and cafes at the hotel. and And they were all these, you know, beautiful, pristine little, you know, just, Yes, not that I you know I don't want like the word perfect, but you know these things were jewels. They were jewels. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and then I come along with my little rugged, rustic, homemade pies, and um, but it was fun because we definitely could appreciate each other's approach to baking, and uh, you know I have a lot of respect for them and what what they how hard they work. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and. I also thought that, um, it was very, um, that your book is very personal and what, uh, as we were talking kind of before we started recording, um, one of the things that I probably would never be able to share is kind of the almost despair that you discuss and your feelings of not being worthy and all of that, that, um, I, i found it um very personal and and touching that the pie was restoring you as well as something that allowed you to reach out to others and i i like that about about pie because i i feel that often when i'm down um the thing to, or if i have like a problem i'm trying to solve or whatever i just go right into the kitchen um I'm not. Um, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't have a big sweet tooth, and so I'm more likely if I were to make a pie to make a savory pie than a sweet pie. It's not about pie. It's about sweet or or savory with me. Um, and uh, and so I love that you shared that though because that um, that personal touch made the whole book
1: feel feel alive to me. So um, was a lot to despair about, you know, there's, there's a lot of injustice in the world and I, it was in my face, I was right there up against it, you know, I didn't stay at home and I didn't stay behind in the comfort of my home and not leave the house, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that I forced myself to go out I mean I, as I say in the book I had inherited these frequent flyer miles from my late husband and they were expiring, and I had wanted to use them to go around the world. And I had the miles, he had been gone for what, five years, almost six years, and I I was like, I, I would have loved to have stayed home and not had all of those um, challenges necessarily. I mean, of course, I'm just saying that. Of, of course, I'm glad I had those challenges, but it was really hard to get myself to go out into the world. And if if those frequent flyer miles didn't have that expiration date, I probably still wouldn't have gone, you know. I, I'd probably still be holding on to those miles. But I went and uh and then I picked places where I either knew someone or I had an invitation from somebody who maybe I didn't know, but they had, you know, followed me on Facebook or read my first book or something. And um, and then there were a couple of places like India is a place where. I had kind of always, I'd always been curious about it and I just never thought I would have the the energy to deal with, you know, looking, watch, seeing the poverty that, you know, that's really quite in your face there. And I was like, okay, you're definitely going to India because it's, you know, you're going around the world, you have to go to India, that's right. it, it's time. If you're going to do this, you're going to go all the way. You're going to just go all in. So I went to India and that was, I, I'm pretty sure I would, well, there—I I, want to say it was my—it was the hardest stop, but there were hardships in every place, really. There, there really were. You know, I had my favorite spots, and then I had—you know—like Greece would have probably would have been my favorite spot if I hadn't gotten so deathly ill. I <laughs> spent right. the whole time I was there staring at the ceiling fan in my room because I was too sick to get out of bed you know mm-hmm. but yeah but india was was definitely really tough because the extremes of you know wealth and poverty and and just you know gandhi is from india and just I'm here I am going around the world trying to promote world peace and I'm like who am i to be promoting world peace when you know even gandhi look at you know look what happened to him he was assassinated i'm like oh weird. there's no peace in the world and then you'd really have to dig deep to find it but yeah i mean i mean i just think, i think i was just really honest about maybe my expectations were too high and i had to come to terms with that and and it pains me all the injustice in the world it pains me just reading the news sitting here in the comfort of my iowa farmhouse you know I, it's still painful and and yet what i have found is It's really, truly less painful to be out in the world and being up close with the situations than to read about them in the news. Because what I found during my trip is that there's kindness everywhere Mm -hmm. and the world is not as horrendous as the media makes it out to be. Mm -hmm. you know, those are my, my two biggest takeaways. And, you know, the other one is that you're never alone. Like I, I was traveling solo and, and there was always somebody to help me and not just my hosts, but even strangers, you know, when I got so sick in Greece, there was a, a woman when I was getting on the train or trying to get to the train, uh, to take the train to the airport, to fly off to my next stop. I was so weak. And this stranger grabs my a woman you know and sort of very modest looking clothing and I don't know she didn't even speak English and she grabs my suitcase and took it down into the subway and made sure that I got on the right train in the right direction and you know you just kind of think there's hope there there's is. Hope yeah. in the world you know yeah. there's goodness out there if you just stay open to it and also put yourself out there don't stay home right don't hide and sequester yourself you know we all want to pull the covers over our head when we read the news every morning and then it's like no get out there that's that's a a big takeaway is it's really it's much better out there than you think
0: and and so do you do you think that I mean I, I love the you know the fact that you can call something world peace and it's P I E C E and we all understand what that means and mm-hmm. um, and uh, do you think that it does promote world peace in the sense that you're one person actually touching another person? Um, what how do you see it in the bigger in the bigger picture?
1: Uh, I kind of see it as a maybe a ripple effect like. Uh-huh. I gave a book talk the other night and I was talking about that woman who carried my suitcase down the Metro station. And, and I said, you know, she will never, never know how much that meant to me. She's never going to know that I wrote this book and that she's in it. And that she's like made a difference in my life. She's never going to know that, but that's why it's so important to be kind, you know, to right. be kind to other people, to be that to be that person who helps a weak, you know, sick American woman <laughs> take her heavy bags down to the subway. You know, be that person. Um, I think that's that's where world peace begins. And another part of it is uh, in the India chapter, the second part of the India chapter, where I'm in the kitchen with the Indian woman and she's showing me how she makes her Indian recipes, and then she's telling me. Oh, and by the way, these Indian spices aren't even from India. The Portuguese <laughs> brought them, and that samosas aren't even Indian. They came from Persia. And then the list snowballs from there. You're like, none of the foods came from where we think they did. Paprika and Hungary came from Mexico, Central America, you know, long before it became this thing that Hungary is known for. So, right. Uh, that was a huge thing for me, too, is uh, th- and a message that I am now kind of have uh, jumped onto about so that cultural appropriation thing, you know, that we are over-identifying with certain foods, with certain cultures, and it's like, no, 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 let's unpack that, let's step back in time a little farther, and you'll see that, no, that isn't your food, that's food that migrated from somewhere, we're all immigrants all of us and our food has all immigrated and that you cannot change and you can't separate anything from each other and that is world peace right there in a nutshell you know that I I think it always
0: happened it's happened going back to nomads that um that just traveled from here to there they encountered each other and probably did exchanges ages and ages thousands of years
1: ago yes that's what I'm talking about it's all about sharing if you could say it in one word you know you could say cultural exchange or you know exchange but I like the word sharing you know we're sharing our recipes we're sharing our languages we're sharing our clothing styles and we just Digging in and claiming something as our own, it just makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how popular that opinion is going to be to people, but it's just, it's a fact, you know, and humans have 99.9% identical DNA, excuse me. Like, how can we keep saying, oh, I'm better than you? No, we're all the same. We're one human race on one planet. Let's get our act together. Everybody go make some pie and share pie and let's make the world a better place.
0: And so, so what, what are you up to today? What are you up to? Not only today, the day, but mm-hmm. in, in the present. Because what we're talking about right now in your book is has happened. So you're right. still continuing to go forward. So what's what's what are you doing?
1: What's up? Well, for right now, I just... The book just came out, so I'm still just starting um, my book tour stuff. Um, you know, just got contact, and you know, people are reaching out saying we want to have you come and speak, and you know, um, doing bookstore events. I'm not doing as many as I, I, as I did on my first book because I burned out really badly doing the book tour. I ended up in the ER on my first book tour. I'm like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know. I think I think this book is. Going to have its own life and, and hopefully take me places that I didn't expect. Um, I had one of my friends who's a screenwriter in LA, she read it and she goes, I have a big pitch meeting with a producer next week. Can I take your book and <laughs> pitch it to her? And I was like, But be my guest. So you know, you just never know. I you know I'm, oh what's your next book going to be i'm like i don't even want to think we'll about think that about, right. I yeah i can understand that yeah but i do live on this farm very unexpectedly and um you know there's a lot there's a lot of farm stories to tell but i'm i'm not ready to sit down and write another book and uh, and i also because of the pandemic haven't really traveled a whole lot you know i've gone back and forth from iowa to los angeles my mom lives in la and i lived in la for a long time and Um, so like that's the only place I've been in what three four years now so it's like wait what happened to my world travel stuff you know so I don't know part of me wants to get back out and go somewhere in the world somewhere other than the U.S. and um, yeah I want to keep talking about world peace I want to spread this message because I think it's important and positive and I think people need to be reminded that you know, we need to do things for others. We need to be of service to others. And, and that's, that's where happiness lies. You know, in LA, I've got a lot of friends who are into the whole, you know, self-help and yoga and, you know, wellness and all that. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not where you're going to find happiness. You know, the happiness is in doing something nice for somebody else. And so, so
0: do you have, when you go to since book signings right now are basically taking up a lot of your time, do you bring pies to Yes, I company?
1: do. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody told me just the other day, she's like, you just can't keep doing that. You know, at, or you need to at least sell your pies. And I'm like, did you not read the book? Because <laughs> no, I don't sell pie. I give it away. That's the message is make something and share it. It's not a transaction. It's, you know, it's, it's not for economic gain. I, you know, I don't care if I don't, I mean, of course I care if I make money, but that's not my goal. My, my, my priority isn't to earn money. My priority is to, I don't know, I don't want to say set an example necessarily, but, you know, to, If I do something nice for somebody, maybe they'll turn around and want to do something nice for somebody else. You know, I've seen that happen and I just want to be that example, you know, Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. So i just want to keep being generous. And, and part of that is bringing pies to my event. And then now it's gotten to the point where people ask, is there going to be pie? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, they want me to come because they know there'll be pie or something, you know, (laughs) that's fine. And, and other people help to pitch in and bring pies and always homemade pies, you know, so right. that's part of it. So that's, that's a good thing, you know, and then you just yeah. sort of uh, it just keeps growing from there.
0: Yeah. I think that's really, it's really wonderful. And of course it really illustrates over and over again, what you're saying in the book, which I think is is important because it makes it seem real and that you mean it because you're bringing pie. I think that's great. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not going to charge people for pie when they come to my book event. Like if you buy the book, that'd be great, but I'm not going to make you pay for the pie. <laughs> right. And also, you know, like when I get into the kitchen and make the pie before the book event, it's it puts me in a better headspace. It it, you know, it 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 centers me and it it makes me think about what I'm going to say to the people. You know, it it's like it extends that book event into you know it starts well before I get to the bookstore you know I'm I'm in my kitchen and and it makes me feel good that I'm that I am doing something nice for somebody else and
0: so are you doing some lessons too some pie making lessons I haven't
1: I get asked and I just haven't wanted to do any zoom lessons and uh you know when I lived in the American Gothic house that was such a um novelty you know for people to be able to come into this tourist attraction this famous Mm. house and make pies there and that was really fun and I was set up for it but here in the farmhouse you know we've got dogs and cats and they're in the kitchen and it's just not quite as um you know it's not as conducive to doing the classes here and and sometimes I do them when I'm out on the road and sometimes I just do them for friends when I went to somebody's house in LA and this couple and they had their little kids and they just, and, you know, they had me over for dinner and I I did a pie class before dinner. And then we ate the pie with dinner, you know, so it was, it was informal and I like doing them. I mean, I still, I do a lot of pie classes that way. Um, As far as formal classes, you know, I'm sure I'll get back into it, but that's, um, you know, that takes a lot of time and energy and it's a, and hauling my Rolling 12 rolling pins around and whatnot. So it just, I don't know, my life hasn't been set up for that recently, but you know, I'm sure I'll get back to it. I always have my rolling pin wherever I go. Well, you know what? You can also use a wine bottle or whatever. You don't even need a rolling pin. That's the other thing about pie. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, all about, you don't have a lot of tools. You know, the pioneers made pie. So you can improvise and you don't need all the fancy stuff. You don't need the fancy ingredients. You, you know, I've made pies in my RV. I don't have the RV anymore, but you know, you just, you don't have to have like the perfect circumstances for making pie. So, Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Beth, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. This has really been a great conversation and everybody needs to a get a copy of your book, World Peace, and B, make some pie. Exactly. And C,
1: share the pie. That's right. Share That's the right, pie. That's right, Liz. That's the blessing there. Don't forget. Okay. That's, That's right. Thanks so much. And I, I really appreciate being on your program. So thank you.
0: You're listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.